This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. <clears throat> the woman who, who wrote that great hymn, Fanny Crosby, was blind, but I think she had spiritual sight. I think Jesus had given her the ability to see, see the things that are most important so, so clearly. So we began <clears throat> a few months ago walking through John 13 through 17 in this series called Upper Room. And the plan all along was to, to finish that today in the second part of the prayer of Jesus that we see in, in John 17. So John 17 is sometimes referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And so we looked at the first part last week. And today we're going to see in verses 20 through 26 the, the closing of that, that prayer and the closing of this incredible time with his disciples that Jesus has in, in the upper room. And what a joy it's been to dig into this together, to walk through it together as, as Jesus is pouring out himself into his disciples that, that night, the night before he goes to the cross. Um, and he's, he's pouring into us. He's pouring into believers in the future, you and me, and what we see in verses 20 through 26 is that he is praying for you and me. Jesus, that night, the night before he went to the cross, had, had you on his mind. And he was praying for those who would come to believe in him in the future. That's what we see in the second part of the prayer of Jesus. So if you would follow along in your copy of God's word, John 17, and let's pick it up with verse 20. As Jesus is, is praying here, he says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you However, I have known you, and they have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. And Father, we thank you for this prayer of Jesus and how incredible to think that the night before he faced the agony of the cross, that instead of thinking about himself, that our Lord was thinking about us and praying for us. And so, Lord, as we, as we look at his prayer for us today, may you, you use it to, to, to strengthen our faith 
and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper later on in this service. Speak to us now through your word, we pray in the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes in the Christian community, when we're on social media, we'll, there'll be a need or something, and we'll express the need, and lots of people may respond, you know, with three words, praying for you. Or maybe just one word, praying. Which is great, you know. And on social media, you can't really expect more than, more than that. And it, and it is encouraging, you know, to hear people say, you know, pray, praying for you. Um, and sometimes we, we, we say that, we'll see each other here in the hallway or whatever, and a need comes up in conversation, we'll say praying for you. I'd encourage you, if you're face-to-face with the person, instead of just saying praying for you, put your arm around them and pray for them, like right there, right on the spot. But especially like with social media, you can't, you, know, you can't do that. So the best you can do is just say, hey, praying for you. But sometimes when we see that, we may wonder, are they really are they really going to pray for me, or are they just saying that? With Jesus, you never have to wonder. The Bible tells us that Jesus is praying for us even now. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Right now, in this moment, the risen Christ is praying for you, interceding for you. And the night before he goes to the cross, Jesus does that. The night before he faces the agony of the cross, instead of thinking about himself, Jesus is thinking about us. And Jesus is praying for us. And last week, in verses 1 through 19, we saw that Jesus was praying for his disciples who were in the room that night. And and a lot of the things that he prays in verses 1 through 19 apply to us as modern-day disciples as well. But in verses 20 through 26, Jesus is specifically praying for us, for the people in this room. Because Jesus, in verses 20 through 26, is praying for those who would come to believe in him in the future, the future church, us. What was on the heart of Christ as he prays for believers in the future, like like you and me? What what does he pray for? Well, let's, let's take a look at it. First of all, Jesus prays for our unity in verses 20 through 23. Jesus prays for our unity. So already we've seen that this is on the heart of Christ. We saw it last week in verse 11. If you look back to verse 11 in chapter 17, Jesus prays there, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one, as we are one. So we saw last week that this is very much on the heart of Christ that night, the, the, the unity of the church, because Jesus knew that, that, that if his people will stand together, then we can make it through anything. We can make it through anything that the world dishes or the devil dishes from the outside if we'll stand together as believers 
but he also knew that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And so uppermost on the heart of Christ was the unity of his people. And we see three aspects of this unity in his prayer here. First of all, the priority of unity. The priority of unity. Let's look at verses 20 and 21. Jesus says, I I pray not only for these, uh, in other words, these who are in the room with me at this moment, but also for those who believe in me through their word. In other words, believers of the future. People who would come to know him through the word of the disciples who were alive at that time. So Jesus here is praying, again, specifically for you and me, for the church of the future, for the believers of the future. And this is his prayer, verse 21. May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. It's telling here that the first thing Jesus prays for when he prays for us is unity. Now, he could have prayed for anything that he wanted to pray about when he prays for the church of the future. But the very first thing that he prays for is that we would be one. He prays for our unity. That was the priority. It's interesting when you, when you think about um, Paul's ministry as well. Think about the book of Ephesians, for instance. In Ephesians 1 through 3, when we walked through Ephesians, we saw this. So in chapters 1 through 3, it's all about what Christ has done for us. It's all, chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians are all about the unsearchable riches of Christ, the stuff that's already been done. But then in chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians, it's about what we are to do in light of what Christ has done. How we are to live this out as believers, as a church, right? That's what chapters 4 through 6 are all about. But when Paul begins at the beginning of chapter 4 to talk about what is to characterize the church, Unity is the very first thing that he begins with as well. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you receive with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know, Satan may be a lot of things, but he's not dumb. And he has had thousands of years to perfect his, 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 his schemes. And one of his, his primary schemes is to divide Christians. Charles Spurgeon says Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another he delights in. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. So don't ever let yourself be used by the enemy in that way. Unity is to be our priority. So first of all, we see the priority of unity. Second, Jesus prays here about the nature of unity. We see something about the nature of unity. And Jesus makes a stunning statement here in verse 21. He says, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. That's, that's pretty incredible. It's almost like Jesus is comparing our, our unity as believers to the unity and love that exists between persons within the Trinity. 
But remember that spiritually, as believers, we are in Christ. So the nature of our unity is inherently spiritual. Paul follows up Ephesians 1 through 3 with with verses 4 through 6. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So it is a spiritual unity that we have in the Lord. You know, sometimes we lament the fact that there's not more institutional unity. I mean, people look around and you see all these different denominations and and things like that. And, you know, and we may wish there was more institutional unity. And, of course, we all know in the new heaven and earth, we'll all be Baptist. I mean, but I'm I'm, I'm kidding about that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But, but, you know, we look around and we see all these different denominations and things like that. But, you know what, I I don't think that's really what grieves the heart of the Lord. That, you know, you may have different churches that have, you know, different takes on secondary issues and things like that. Um, because we can, still be, we can still be loving one another and together in the main things, in the, in the gospel. But what does grieve the heart of the Lord is strife. Strife among believers. And especially strife among Orthodox Bible-believing Christians, you know, over... Uh, secondary issues and, and things like that, or just kind of getting in our own, our own agenda or, or whatever, you know, um, we've got to rise above that. Um, rowing, rowing is uh, a sport that, that demands unity. It was interesting. I hadn't seen a lot of rowing. I, I guess it's in the Olympics or whatever, but I hadn't seen a lot of it. Um, I was looking at some videos of rowing. It's amazing uh, how fast these boats go, but it's, it's so imperative that the oars in rowing, uh, you've got a bunch of different people in the boat, and it's incredible because the oars have to go into the water at the exact same split second, and then they come out of the water in the exact same second. It's incredible to see that happen, but the coxswain is the, the one person in the boat who's not rowing. And the coxswain is the only person in the boat in the sport of rowing that is facing forward. And so the coxswain is the, um, the, the person who's calling out the, uh, the commands to, to, the, to the people who are doing the, the rowing. The coxswain is encouraging them, it's giving these commands. And so when they're in all, everybody else that's do, in the boat that's doing the rowing, they're attuned to that one voice. And we, we have unity when we are attuned to the one voice of Christ, to his commands, right? When we're all listening to him, then, then we're in, in sync in that spiritual unity. That's, that's the nature of, of unity. The third thing that we see here is the stakes of unity. The stakes of unity. And the stakes are so high so incredibly high. What is at stake in the unity of believers? What does Jesus pray here in, in verse 21? May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that, the purpose clause here, so that the world may believe that you sent me. In other words, Jesus is praying that we would be one 
that we would love one another, that we be united to one another so that the world will believe this stuff. So that the world will really believe that the Father sent the Son. And then he repeats it again in verse 23. Look at verse 23. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. In other words, how are people going to believe? How, is, how, are, how are people on the outside of the church going to believe that this is real, that the Father truly did send the Son and that Jesus loves them? It's when they see believers loving one another, right? Matt Carter says this, we don't have any photographs of Jesus. The church is the photograph. The church is the picture of his love and mercy. There's a picture frame around each church and a sign above us that says, come and see what God is like. And so when unbelievers see believers relating to one another and in, in love and unity, and, and, you know, and, and when we have a difference, working through that patiently and humbly and in love, you know, they conclude, you know what? These people are different. God's love must be real. God really did send a son. And conversely, when outsiders look at, look at churches and they see division within churches, there are few things that are a greater deterrent to evangelism than that. Because they look at, Christians can't even get their own act together and see Christians divided against one another and they're like, why in the world would I ever want to be a part of that? So those are the stakes of, of unity. The stakes are sky high. So Jesus, first of all, prays for our unity. Second, Jesus prays for our glorification in verses 24 through 26. Let's look at verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you love me before the world's foundation, before the foundation of the world. Jesus had lived in the love and the glory of his Father from all eternity. And he left that to come and rescue us and to die on a cross for our sins and to rise from the dead so that we can have eternal life. And now he is ascended and reigning and once again in glory. And we can get a taste, a foretaste of that glory that we're one day going to enjoy in his presence. We get that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who is constantly reassuring us of God's love. We can get a taste of that when brothers and sisters in Christ and the church are relating to one another as we, as we should in love. But, but it's only a foretaste of the glory that one day we're going to enjoy when we are glorified. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12 Paul says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, 
but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Johnny Erickson Tata tells about um, a retreat that she did for families with, uh, with kids who have disabilities. And uh, there was one little boy at the retreat that week named Jeff. And Jeff had Down syndrome. And he had won the hearts of everybody who was there on the retreat throughout the, the week. And at the end of the retreat, they had a time where they passed the mic around and different people shared what that week had meant to them. And uh, little Jeff raised his, raised his hand and, and took the mic and he put it up to his lips and he says, it's time to go home. <laughs> and later on, Jeff's mom came up to Johnny and she said, you know, he really misses his dad because his dad had to work and he couldn't come on the retreat and, and he's, he's ready to go home to, to see his dad. And it won't be long, you know what, before we're going to be home and we're going to see our father. It won't be long. Christ could come at any moment. And even if we live a long earthly life here, it's only, it's only really a moment in time compared to the eternal glory that we're going to experience in his presence. But how do, we, how do we go be with the Father in that glory? Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way that we're ever going to experience that ultimate glory is through Jesus. Because he's the only Savior. So do you know Jesus today? Do you know him? Turn to him. Trust him. Welcome him into your life. Receive him as your Savior and Lord and King. Until that day when we go home to be in glory, we, we have his love. Verse 26, Jesus says, I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have, have, the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. Jesus closes this prayer by praying that we would experience his love in that way. So that the love you have loved me with may be in them. Again, Matt Carter says this, if there is a river of love that has eternally flowed between the members of the Trinity, then we find our unity with one another by immersing ourselves completely in it. We get so close to Jesus that we become drenched with his love with the result that we cannot help but love one another. How awesome here that Jesus finishes this majestic high priestly prayer by praying that we would experience his love. That the love you have loved me with may be in them. And one of the ways that Jesus has ordained that we can experience his love is in the Lord's Supper that he commanded. As we take part in this special feast that Jesus ordained, it is a picture. It is a picture of his love it's one of the ways that we experience his love 
and the love of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's sometimes called communion because it's communion with God. It's communion with one another as his family. Let's pray together as we prepare our hearts for it. Lord, what a joy and privilege it's been to, to walk through the high priestly prayer of our Lord and to think about the fact that even as he faced the agony of the cross the next day that we were on his mind, that, that he was praying for us. Lord, we, we pray that we, that we would be unified in Christ. Communion's really a picture of that. It's a picture of the fact that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We, we come from different backgrounds, different personalities, different ethnicities, all kinds of, different, all kinds of differences, but we, we are one in you. And Lord, help us to always treat one another that way and to guard and cherish unity in the body of of, of Christ. Lord, as we take part in this, we look forward to the glory that we're going to experience one day in your, in your presence. We, we, are, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, until that, that moment of glorification takes place as we take part in the Lord's Supper. And so, Lord, would you, would you take these next few minutes together and help us to experience the love of our Savior afresh and anew as we remember his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. Help us to remember on this Palm Sunday that Jesus rode into Jerusalem humbly on a donkey to die on our behalf that we might have life. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. And if you would take uh, the the kit that you received, the Lord's Supper kit that you received when you came in. And if you were here today as one who knows Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then he invites you to take part in the special meal that he ordained. But if you would peel back the top layer In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after giving thanks, broke it, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus had taken eat. This is my body. If you would peel back the second layer, 1 Corinthians 11 says, In like manner, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus said, Drink, all of you. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful picture of your love that we see in the supper that you gave us. The, the picture of what our Lord rode into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday to do on our, on our behalf, 
and his sacrifice for, for us. Lord, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you that Jesus was, was broken so that we could be made whole. That his, his blood was shed so that we could be made white as snow so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have eternal life. Lord, we thank you for this incredible picture of your great love for us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 